Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to episode 178 of the Mo Money Podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Morehouse. Thanks so much for joining me for another episode. And uh, there's only a few episodes left in this season, season seven of the show. It is crazy. At this point, I think I have been officially doing the podcast for three and a half years. Crazy. Season seven sounds like a lot. So that's crazy. And we're at episode 178. What's going on? Um, exciting time. So I've got some really great episodes to kind of close out the season today. I've got a great interview with Bryn Conroy. Uh, you may know her online um, if you've been, you know, a personal finance blog reader for years like myself. Um, she goes under the name Femme Frugality. That is her blog, femfrugality.com. But now she also has a book. She's an author now. And she's uh, just come out with her book called The Feminist Financial Handbook. And so that is what we're going to be talking about in this episode, personal finance, women and money, and just how they all kind of play a role in our financial lives. So I know you're going to love this episode. So uh, stick around for that. But just before I get to that interview with Brynn, here's just a few words about this episode's sponsor. This episode of the Mo Money Podcast is supported by CoPower Green Bonds. Looking for a sustainable way to invest in fixed income without sacrificing high returns? Then CoPower Green Bonds may be the investment solution you're looking for. Investing in clean energy projects throughout Canada is a great way to put your money to work while making a measurable impact on the environment. Let me break down how this works for you. You buy CoPower Green Bonds, and that money is used to fund clean energy projects and energy efficiency projects that reduce carbon and generate steady revenues. Revenues that are used to pay Canadian investors like you. How much do you earn on these bonds, you may be wondering? For a four-year bond, you'll earn 4% annually, and for a six-year bond, you'll earn 5% annually. The only thing is, there's a limited supply of green bonds left. If you're interested in investing this year, don't miss out. To learn more, visit greenbonds.ca. Once again, that's greenbonds.ca. Thank you so much, Brent, for joining me on the Mo Money Podcast. I'm excited to talk to you um, about you, your story, but also the new book that you just released called The Feminist Financial Handbook. Very interested in this topic. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. Thank you for having me. You're so welcome. So um, in case people aren't familiar with you, or if they are, and they maybe have just never heard your voice on a podcast, I'd like to get a little bit of background. I I know of you, I feel like I've been following you and your um, blog for years. Like, I feel like it's a long time coming that we are finally having a one-on-one conversation because you've had the blog Femme Frugality for how long? When did you start that? Um, 2011. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think I was reading Money Mo Houses like Mm -hmm. back in 2011. 11 probably. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like we must have started around the same time. Like that's what's so crazy. I'm like, I feel like that was just yesterday or like a year ago. I'm like, no, it's 2018 now. What happened? (laughs) I know. So much has changed. I know. I was like this naive uh, 20 year old who had no, no clue. I mean, it's probably for the best (laughs) not knowing what was ahead. (laughs) But uh, yeah, a lot of stuff has happened. So let's kind of um, go from, so why did you originally start your blog? I mean, you've had it for a long time now. Yeah. um, Originally, I was super broke. Um, (laughs) I was living beneath the poverty line. Oh, wow. And I found out I was expecting and I was super concerned about that. Um, Mm -hmm. Just not becoming pregnant, but just like having the money to provide, like I didn't have enough for myself. How was I going to provide for my child? Um, my boyfriend 
also did not have a very high paying job. Neither of us had a full college education um, or university education, I guess. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And um, yeah, so I started searching hardcore Mm -hmm. for any ways that I could maximize the hours that I was side hustling, like get paid more money, because that's Mm -hmm. something that I was kind of already doing, but I wanted to up like my per hour pay. And I found ways to go back to school for free. Uh, At certain times, I even got paid to do it. Wow. And I also found like even more ways to be frugal because again, we were pretty frugal as it was. Um, but we just needed to really up the ante. Um, and then seven years later, um, I have some kids and we're not in poverty anymore. (laughs) Yay. Um, So what were you originally doing? Like as your, your job back then? Um, I was working at a daycare back then. Mm. Um, and then I entered a field in the realm of education. Um, that's what I got my training and schooling in. Um, and then that, worked out professionally, um, but we had a job shortage unexpectedly. Mm. So at that point, I had really loved my job and I loved what I was doing, but I also needed to provide for my family. Mm -hmm. So I had this blog on the side and I kind of just shifted gears and focused on that um, Mm. and kind of made the switch pretty seamlessly. So are you right now, what do you do? Are you a professional blogger? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I guess so. I also write for a lot of outside sites as well. So. Uh-huh. uh-huh. That's awesome. That's so cool. Um, especially I feel, and that's like the exciting thing, especially when I do talk to bloggers who I feel like I've known for several years, almost coming to a decade. And we all started around, I guess like lots of us started kind of uh, a few years after the recession because we realized, oh, we're in a situation. I need to figure <laughs> out my, my money stuff because I'm broke. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, so many years later, um, how we've kind of grown. I mean, some lots of the blogs I used to follow no longer exist. They decided they want to kind of live their lives and they were kind of done telling their story. They want to move on. And then some that um, continued then grew that blog into a business. And which is great because for me, it's exciting to hear that because it's, you know, like your story, it's like you, you were trying to figure out, I just need to kind of get enough money to survive and provide for my family. And then you kind of turn that into now this kind of uh, awesome way for you to build this new career that has a lot more flexibility and freedom. Yeah, definitely. That's yeah. huge. That's amazing. Um, so let's kind of uh, dive into uh, your new book. It's called The Feminist Financial Handbook. Very cool title. Um, and I, I'm so curious what inspired you to create this book? Um, well, pretty much somebody asked me to. Um, <laughs> Um, my publisher wrote to me and asked if it was a project I would be interested in. And I was a little hesitant at first. Um, writing a book is a lot of work and I was very cognizant of that. Um, and I don't know, I had been approached by publishers before in the past and contracts hadn't been ideal. But when I sat down and talked with the people at Mango, who is my publisher, Mm. they were really excited about this idea. And I knew that it was a book that needed to be written mm. and I needed to find a way to make it happen. I also had a lot of encouragement from my peers mm-hmm. uh, because again, it's not, it's not something I knew if I wanted to invest my time into, Yeah, uh, but the publishing house was really great. Um, they worked with me on the contract till everybody was good and comfortable. Um, 
yeah. And so we got something written that hasn't been said before. So what, what is, I guess, like that message that you really wanted to um, put into a book that you feel like hasn't really been spoken about or hasn't been really been represented in other financial books? Absolutely. So um, feminist is in the title of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and the view I take on feminism is intersectional. Mm-hmm. And what all that means is that women are oppressed, but also um, depending on your race or ethnicity, ethnicity, you might face oppression. Um, if you're disabled, you might, if you are LGBTQ, you might face oppression. Um, so all of, all of these different things that I am a white woman who is in a heterosexual relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, I identify as the gender I was assigned at birth and my journey has been so much easier because mm-hmm. of all those facts. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times I think in the personal finance community, what we end up doing is we end up focusing on the numbers Yep. Because really the math is pretty easy. Yeah. Uh, and if you do X, Y, and Z, then you'll have a million dollars in <laughs> however many years, right? Mm-hmm. And that's wonderful because it's true. But in our day-to-day lives, there are outside forces that no matter how disciplined you are, yep. you're going to have to face those head on. Mm-hmm. Um, and being female makes the likelihood of that higher. Um, and also any of those other types of oppression that you might face, that also makes the odds higher that you're going to face those obstacles. So in the book, we talk about them. Um, I interviewed a ton of different women for this book because Mm -hmm. there's a lot of perspectives I obviously can't bring to the table. I have no lived experience. Um, And so it was really cool. I got to talk to a bunch of smart, savvy women who had kind of faced these problems and learned what they did to get around those barriers and obstacles. Yeah. Um, and also just to have their stories heard. Because I think, again, a lot of these things are outside forces. Mm-hmm. There's only so many workarounds we have before we have to be like, all right, how are we treating people as a society? And how mm-hmm. can we change it? Um, mm-hmm. And so I really wanted to open up that conversation as well. Mm-hmm. So you didn't want to just have a book on how to, here are things that you as an individual can do, but also well, let's talk about those, but also let's talk about like the outside forces. Cause I agree with you. Um, I feel like a lot of, especially as women, what, or just, you know, like you mentioned all the other kind of groups that may deal with oppression. It's like, there is math. There are things that you can do. You can get a side hustle. You can cut back. You can do all this. However, um, you may, depending on your situation, may uh, deal with obstacles or issues or struggles that many other people won't. So, and, and sometimes those are beyond your control. So, what do you do in that case? It's, it's kind of like a weird uh, kind of balance. I was reading um, some Twitter conversations about how that kind of major book lean in um, that came out a number of years ago, which I, I loved because I, I loved the, it was, you know, about female empowerment at the workplace, taking charge and all that stuff. But then there's a new conversation kind of coming about how um, maybe we're thinking about it wrong. Maybe it's uh, society should take more responsibility for what's going on, why women aren't getting these opportunities in the workplace. So there's kind of like this confusing um situation where it's it's we have to do something as individuals but we also have to do something as a group in a society to kind of change things for sure for sure and I feel like some of that is parallel to the idea of kind of victim blaming Mm, yeah Um, like I mean obviously this is not uh I mean you could say you're a victim of economics I mean yeah like societal norms right I don't want to extend this analogy too, too far, Mm -hmm. Um, but 
essentially you're taking the people who are facing these huge obstacles that are imposed on them and you're saying, okay, now you fix it. You figure yeah. out a way out. And that's just like, that's not reasonable. Um, yeah. And we all do have to take personal ownership and we always should maintain as much hope as we possibly can and keep mm-hmm. trying. Um, but until those things are changed at a systemic level, we're going to continue having problems um, with the economic effects of oppression. Absolutely. And uh, so I, I mentioned uh, to you before I hit the record button that I recently watched uh, Netflix has a, a kind of a docu-series show called Explained and they just have a topic, talk about it for like 18 to 20 minutes. And the one of the recent episodes I watched was about the uh, uh, gender uh, pay gap, basically, and how a lot of the conversations that have been going on for years is we just need to pay uh, women more. You know, it should really be uh, equal pay for equal work. Um, but a lot of it kind of does come down, like lots of the conversations were like, well, women need to do this, women need to do that. But it's like, that's not really the solution. The, the solution, one of the solutions we really need to look at, it's like men need to um, step up more. Men need to kind of be like, yeah, no, you, they should earn more. There, they need to be, it's a, it's a big problem. That, and there's not just kind of, it's not women, it's not a women's issue, basically, is kind of one of the sentiments that were was in the show. And I was like, yeah, actually, that's very true. And so they gave an example of what's been um, going on in uh, Iceland. And now they have, I think the stat that was in the show was um, their uh, women are paid about like, I don't know, 90 cents on the dollar, which is one of the, you know, closest um, kind of uh, balances between um, men and women and, and the uh, wage gap, which is still like, it's still, it's not like on par though. So we still have quite a ways to go and that's just in Iceland. <laughs> and yeah. the reason it's, it's gotten to that point of, uh, you know, they've progressed so much is because they started um implementing new things um i think since the 80s or 90s so it's been decades long to get to this point and so since you know canada and the us and lots of other countries the uk haven't been you know working this hard like iceland that's why we're still at 70 or 80 cents on the dollar it's just like it's so frustrating as like a woman who when i was growing up i didn't actually I never knew that there was kind of a wage gap. I really thought it had to do with, oh, you just have to don't be lazy and work hard, go to school. It's all, you know, again, back to the individual. And then as I did all those things, checked all those boxes and still realized I was being faced with this, you know, why am I still making less? It's like, oh, it's a bigger issue. It's not, you know, it's kind of, again, beyond my control. It's a a bigger issues we have to deal with as a society. Absolutely. And I think Iceland... I did, a, I did a little bit of research when mm. I first started. Um, so about eight, seven, eight years ago now. I'm yeah. good at math, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I like talking about the feelings. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but they've, they've held that first place spot for yeah. like the better part of a decade at the very least. Mm-hmm. And it just, it really is same to see yeah. how different policies affect like affect that gap even in Rwanda yeah that was another example they gave too I was shocked I had no idea yeah yeah like they're doing really well as far as their wage gap is concerned it's uh yeah kind of insane it's kind of insane it was also yeah I I had no idea about the background because I mean this also just goes to show how um very well our our media only kind of uh, gives us so much information so you know as uh you know a North American when I think of Rwanda, I still think of like, oh, yeah, they had that genocide. It's probably really dangerous there, Africa. Like, don't have a lot of information. And so when I saw that part of the um, 
show talking about how Rwanda has actually they've you know really closed um, that gap. So women are being paid more. There's more women in the uh, workforce, but also it had a lot to do with that genocide because there was is such a um, you know uh, a lot of these men were killed during this uh, war and everything like that. Women needed to uh, take on lots of these roles, which is similar to I guess kind of what happened in uh, World War II. But uh, yeah, it was kind of shocking that most people probably have no idea that uh, Rwanda is actually so progressive in that that kind of way. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's it's it gives us hope. Um, so what are so? Anyways, that's I love talking about the, the wage gap because it just always gets me really fired up. And um, oh, for me, it's 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 one of the reasons why I love talking to women, love promoting women, um, and just I don't know, just making sure we're all having these conversations and they never kind of stagnate because I think it's a lot of people still have this ridiculous idea that we're like, oh no, we're all equal. It's like, well, in some respects, yes, but in a lot of respects, no. We have a long way to go. Absolutely. And I think that's the thing, like in our cultures, like there's a lot of emphasis placed on the individual and that bootstrapping mindset. Mm-hmm. And it's all very romantic. And for some people, I mean, like, essentially, I'm a bootstrapping story, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that doesn't mean that I haven't faced any types of oppression in my life. Um, but it does mean that, like, it was harder for me than it would have probably been for somebody else who mm-hmm. had faced different obst- or less obstacles. And it's infinitely easier for me mm-hmm. than it was, than it would have been like, had I faced others. It's just, it's really, mm-hmm. it's hard to understand. Like I think yeah. people to skip through the hard work of talking about these hard issues and just yeah. skip ahead to the part where everybody's equal. Yeah. Everything's fine. Now just work for it. And you got to realize that not everybody has had the same starting line. Exactly. It's exactly. Just, kind of crazy to me, that whole mentality. Exactly. It's it's not so much, and and, and that's kind of a, a one of the arguments that always kind of just drives me crazy. Is like, well, you know, if you want this, you just have to work hard and get it. And I'm like, yeah, but again, yeah, like you said, it's like everyone's starting from a different starting line, or some people start on second base or third base. Like it's just yeah. it isn't equal. It's it really, and as a woman in general, you do have to work a bit harder or just work differently. You can't work the same way as a man and get the same result. You just can't because you'll you'll be still. Our society has these um, notions of like. Oh, if you you know are very um, strict or, or or whatever as a boss, then as a woman, then you'll be considered. Oh, well, she's she's difficult. But as a yeah. man, it's like, oh no, he's very confident and he knows what he wants. And it's like I, we're in 2018, and we still have this ridiculous notion. Exactly. I think it was. Um, I think I'm gonna send you the link to this. Yeah. Okay. But I'm pretty sure it was the Wharton School of Business mm-hmm. uh, and an American school a British school and Australian school, they all like all these researchers did this um, project on like, okay, women don't negotiate enough. Right. Mm. So we're going to go look at the stats. And out of those three Westernized countries, Australia actually has that data. Mm. Um, we, we don't keep it here in the U S they don't keep it in the UK, but in Australia they do. So they looked at all this data and what they were finding there was that women are asking for raises just as often as men, mm. but they get turned down 25% more. <gasps> so when we have, like, I've listened to so many podcasts yeah. where like hiring managers who, who are male generally, mm. um, talking about all these tips for negotiation, those might not be good tips for women. Right. Because the problem isn't that women aren't asking. The problem is that when we ask like men, we don't, we have to be more agreeable. Yeah. We have to be nicer. We have to smile more. 
mm-hmm. and just do all of this extra like emotional labor stuff within that negotiation. Yeah. Just get to the same place as a male would if he had all of our same qualifications. Absolutely. And there's like little things that I think a lot of people forget, but you know, I've worked in a lot of different office spaces and it's still it kind of boggles my mind how women are still in terms of like when there's kind of those uh, social um, events or whatever at work, which are kind of normal, you know, someone's birthday or whatever. It's always the women that are expected to organize it to just to get it all. I've never seen a man organize a birthday party or a retirement party for anyone in an office. That's never happened. So it's like, I think people forget. It's like we also sometimes have to do additional work that we don't get any, you know, recognition or compensation for anything, but we're all also expected to do it. And if we don't participate, it looks like we're not a team player and et cetera, et cetera. Right, right. I've typically worked in female-dominated fields, and now I work, like, at home by myself with the people I want to. Mm-hmm. So I don't have that same experience, but that sounds about right to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's pretty accurate. It's one of the things that I'm like, I'm glad I it's, – it's one of the nice things where I'm like, I'm glad I don't have to deal with that anymore because I do work for myself. So it's not, like, that's not one of the things I have to – oh, great, it's my turn to go and get the balloons. I'm like, for God's sakes, I don't want to do this. I want to do my job. But You uh, throw birthday party I think I might start doing that that sounds fun (laughs) (laughs) um yeah so okay so we've uh, this is a topic I love to talk about what what are some other things um especially you mentioned kind of the beginning uh, you talk a lot about obstacles what are some other obstacles that women face um in their kind of career or just their financial lives that you know people may not necessarily think about definitely um well this is kind of a tangent off Mm, the way that's okay (laughs) A lot of time, a lot of times people like to blame a significant part of the wage gap on maternity leave policy. Yes. Um, and that's, I, I don't really see how that's accurate. I mean, if we look at maternity leave policies across the world, they're just not correlated at all, seemingly, with the wage gap. Mm. Um, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But also another problem I think that we have as women is like, A, okay, so you have a uterus, so someday you might have a kid. Yeah. Um, and then in my country right now, there's a big concern about like, oh, well, women might not even have the choice anymore in the very near future to oh, wow. have or not have a kid. Yeah, um, yeah, and yeah. Then, and then, okay, so you have a uterus. And let's say, heaven forbid, you do decide to start a family. Mm. Um, with your spouse, mm. um, you are penalized for that inherently while he is not. And I think when you were talking about um, like men need to step up too, mm-hmm. I think um, parental leave policies are a huge part of that. Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. Because even after you have the child, even if you are able to stay in your career, because a lot of times it's not women choosing to stay home, it's being women forced out of the workplace. Mm-hmm. Um, if we are able to change gender expectations by expecting men to take off when their kids are sick um, or applauding women for when they do the same thing, because Mm -hmm. a lot of times we'll applaud men for doing exactly that, for taking care of their children. Like, Oh, Mm -hmm. he's such a great dad. Mm -hmm. But when a woman will call off to do the same thing, it's like, Oh my God, like she just, she's always going to something for her. Yeah. She's not taking her job seriously. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, so I think that like, if we, we have to look at the workplace just as like, again, it's that systemic change. Yeah. We have to look at how the system operates and why women are being forced out of it because it wasn't built with women in mind. No, exactly. And that's why so much 
does need to change. And, you know, there are more policies. I know in Canada, it is becoming more common um, and more accepted for, um, you know, men to take paternity leave as well. And, you know, the women usually take like the first six months, the man takes the next six months. I think that's fairly common. But also, I know lots of women, they're like, but I actually, you know, we're the ones that gave birth to the baby. We have this special connection. It's sometimes very difficult to actually want to cut that maternity leave short and go back to the office and, and have the uh, their husband or their partner, you know, uh, continue with that. So it's, there's also a big, you know, struggles like, should I sacrifice my career or should I, you know, stick around for another six months and have this, you know, really uh, beautiful time with my baby that's, you know, kind of once in a lifetime. It's It's almost like an impossible choice. It's not fair. Yeah, definitely. And I think that um, kind of back to your original question, mm-hmm. like whenever you have a child, um, it might be a beautiful experience, but there's a very real possibility too that you could come out with postpartum depression. Yes. And then you were expecting that beautiful experience and it just wasn't that. And then you get into this whole like mental health thing. Mm-hmm. And that's something that women face a lot more than men, not just because postpartum depression is mm-hmm. for mothers. But also we face like double the rate of anxiety disorders and depression. We're more likely to get PTSD after a traumatic event. Um, There's some arguments that that that's because women are statistically more likely to be victims of sexual assault Mm -hmm. or rape. Um, And those things tend to trigger PTSD more often, but we don't really know. Mm -hmm. Um, There's just this whole list of mental health conditions that really affect your ability to bring in an income. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these are invisible disabilities where at least, at least here in America, mm-hmm. they're not really recognized. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not really given the same deference as um, other disabilities are. That's not to say that people with other disabilities don't face yeah. the same amount of discrimination. They do. Yeah. Um, but when you have these disorders, it's a little bit, hard to go to your boss and be like, yeah, so I have PTSD because 12 years ago I was raped and like, exactly. I'm going to episode right now and I can't really handle work and I need accommodations and I'm technically protected by mm-hmm. laws. So like, what can you do to help accommodate me? Yeah. Like a lot of bosses are not going to respond well to that. And yeah. so you have problems keeping a job, um, problems earning a higher income or moving up and getting a promotion. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I also found too, like I um, have worked in lots of different workplaces and I have, I, I felt like there have been certain coworkers that have probably dealt with like an invisible kind of illness, either an anxiety or some other kind of mental disorder. And so they would take a lot of time off. But we as kind of a coworkers or like a team and we're pretty close, we're pretty close. We'd have no idea what was really going on. So we would right. kind of just get irritated because we're like, is this person just not, again, not taking their job seriously? Why do we keep on having to kind of pick up the slack? It's like if we had more of an open communication and really just understood this person is going through something, they need this time, we would all be respectful and understanding. But I feel like, yeah, we never even, I, it's a complicated situation because obviously that person may not want people to know what they're going through. But yeah, it's 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 not easy whether you have the you know, kind of invisible disorder, or if you're, you know, a coworker that has, that knows, you know, one of their coworkers has that and, and dealing with that on the other side too, it's, there needs to be kind of more openness and acceptance. I think um, that's yeah, like kind of the only way, like no one should be suffering in, in silence or feel guilty about having to take time off work because they need, they need that time to, to get better. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it doesn't mean that they can't be good at their jobs. Exactly. With accommodations. It's exactly. Just- 
Yeah. Well, even with like taking vacation days too. And this is, I feel like, again, um, it it could just be like my last job was like very, very corporate, um, kind of like it was on Bay Street. So it's like, you know, Wall Street basically. And people would judge others for like, oh, you're taking a vacation day. Oh, again, you don't take your job seriously. A man (laughs) takes a vacation. Good for you. You earned it. But for women, we would always be kind of expected to go above and beyond. Again, this is just my personal experience. I'm not saying for everybody, but uh, it was just this work environment. You were always expected to um, work overtime, not take all your vacation days. And God forbid, if you ever had to take, because we actually did, I think, have specific days that were meant for like mental health or just personal care days. No one took any of those, which is awful because you should be able to take those without any kind of, you know, questioning. We all need, man, did I ever need some of those mental health days? <laughs> and there's a reason they're there too. I mean, they're part of your compensation package. Mm-hmm. Like if you aren't taking those days, you're essentially working for free during those exactly. days. Exactly. And even if you can hand them in at the end of your tenure and get a bonus, that bonus is going to be significantly less than what the company valued your time at. Mm-hmm. And I think that we judge women both on both in situations like that, where it's like, oh, well, you actually treated yourself to a vacation. Like, mm-hmm. how much do you have? Or that must be nice. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Like, tend to think that women are more shopaholics. Um, and then we, but when we look at the numbers, mm-hmm. men are almost the same rate for yeah. shopaholism. Mm-hmm. Is that a word? Yeah, <laughs> I think so. I think it is now probably. It's probably in the dictionary. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. There's just, I think there's, it's, it's shocking to me too, as I've gotten older, where I used to think some of these things that we're dealing with currently when, when I was in my early twenties or even teens, I was aware of them, but I thought, oh, well, by the time I'm in my thirties or forties, they're not, they're going to be, you know, some things are going to be replaced. Everything's going to get better, but nothing's really changed. Like it's, it's surprising how little has been changed in the past couple of decades in terms of lots yeah. of this stuff. Um, yeah. Shocking, especially too. I, and I'm not sure if you, um, go into this in the book, but I'd imagine this is something you have an opinion about is um, I think a lot of the women that I talk to that I work with um, have issues in terms of um, managing their money and uh, investing and and specifically when seeking advice from a professional, because usually that professional is male. And usually they still, if they've been in the industry for a while, they still have this kind of old mentality that women don't, don't understand math as much, or they don't understand, you know, oh, let me talk to a man you know, uh, <laughs> let me talk to your husband. And this is just like, it's just a ridiculous notion. It's so passe. A lot of women, they're very educated. They know they're usually the money managers of the household. Um, but still, they're not really given sometimes that respect from, you know, certain advisors and, and professionals out there. Yeah, definitely. And there, I mean, the investment gap is real. That runs yep. along the lines as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and the sad thing is, is that we, we shoot lower for our investment goals. We yep. tend to take care of more people. So we're responsible for more people and thus their finances. Yep. Um, we live longer. So we're going to need more money to last us into our long, long retirements. Mm-hmm. And it's just, we're not marketed to appropriately. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we do need to take some personal responsibility. This is something that I cover in the book uh, very briefly, mm-hmm. more just like, um, hey, you need to go read up on this and this is why. Like, mm-hmm. we're treated as a girl and grew up to be a woman who isn't interested in investing money. Let's make sure this doesn't go down another generation. Exactly. Um, Jackie Cummings-Kosky, she's actually yeah. the person I interviewed for that chapter. 
she wrote a whole book like to her daughter that was just like money lessons specifically focusing on investing. Mm-hmm. Um, so she provided some really great insight into that. Um, just breaking because investing isn't really that hard if you're going to do it well. Exactly. Um, yes. And the other, the other thing is that women are statistically better investors than men. Like our portfolios earn higher returns. Hmm but we don't have the same confidence. And I think that's what it comes down to is we don't think girls are good at math. So we talk to sons about investing and then women grow up to be completely not confident, but our tolerance for risk is better. Mm -hmm. Um, And so our, that doesn't necessarily mean it's higher. We're just better at gauging it maybe Mm -hmm. because we're less confident. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's really interesting to see that like we're actually better investors, but we don't have that confidence and therefore we don't invest. And also we're not marketed to. So absolutely. Yeah. That idea of financial confidence honestly keeps popping up. The more people I talk to, the more women I have on the podcast talking about investing in women. It's, it's crazy. And it's, um, it is because it's so true. It's everyone I talk to, every woman that um, isn't in the personal finance world, but I, you know, I don't go to a networking event or whatever and explain what I do. And then we start chatting about money. That's usually what comes out is I find that they're like, oh, I'm just not good at it. And, but really what they mean is like, I'm, I don't know what to do. I'm really not confident about making those decisions. I don't want to make a mistake. Um, and right. it's just, we need to, I, for me, I feel like it really has to go back to when we have kids, when they were young, is don't just talk to your your boys about, you know, um, allowances or, you know, that lemonade stands. Like, talk to your girls, too, about this stuff and, and integrate them into that conversation. Um, for me, it's like I feel like I was integrated into that conversation fairly young with my sisters just because I just had sisters um, and my mom was the money manager. So we were she, – she talked to us a lot about being frugal and uh, and all that kind of stuff. So, so I think I had kind of a, a unique situation, but I think most – most people don't have that kind of experience growing up. Yeah, I had really good um, basic finances. Um, that's not to say that my, I don't know, I'm not going to say whether my parents were awesome or not awesome with money, <laughs> but they taught me really good lessons either way. Um, mm-hmm. And I, a lot of the reason that I survived that period of my life, like I did, um, through that period of poverty was because of those lessons that I had learned. I had an extreme aversion to debt. Um, probably an unhealthy one. Mm-hmm. But another thing that I think this is because maybe partially because I'm a girl and nobody talked to me about investing. Mm-hmm. Um, but also because I came of age, like pretty, I mean, just like yeah. you pretty much right at the height of the recession. Uh-huh. And I was terrified of the stock market. Mm-hmm. I watched my friend's parents lose like a ton of money. My parents never talked to me about investing. So I don't know if they lost some mm-hmm. or not. Um, but it was, it was just really bad. I watched so many people lose their jobs. And I was at a point where at one point I was like, okay, I'm just going to stuff money under my mattress because this has happened before. You know what's coming. Yeah, yeah. Uh, insurance. Uh, I mean, insurance isn't going to work if our government's bank. I don't know. It was mm-hmm. stupid. Mm-hmm. Tutorial, but that's the way I felt. And for a long time, I was not comfortable with investing at all. Um, and I kick myself now because I look back and realize that was a really dumb move. That's when I should have been pouring a ton of money into the market. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. I th- so I think that we also need to kind of cut ourselves a break um, mm-hmm. because a lot of these cultural norms are kind of passed down without thinking. Yeah. Like women didn't used to need to know how to invest. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they should have been taught anyways for self, for a form of empowerment, mm-hmm. but we come from a very sexist society historically. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, and so when women didn't need to invest, you didn't talk to them about that. But now we're in a world where a man's not going to provide for you. Um, even if that's something that you want in a partner, um, I personally don't feel like that's what I, I, that's not the primary thing I look for yeah. in a partner. No. But if you <laughs> want, there's no guarantee of that anymore. Like divorce yeah. rates are really high. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if you are included on a spousal IRA that goes up or I'm sorry, that's a different account. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Our RESP. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, at least here, those retirement accounts are up for um, litigation. Yeah. So you don't have that security anymore that you might've once had through a marriage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it becomes even more important. So while we might not talk about these things because of leftovers from our old culture, now we're in a new culture and we kind of, we don't need to blame ourselves, but we just need to wake up and yeah. talk to kids, you know? Yeah. And just, yeah, get get rid of a lot of the things that we were kind of taught younger, just because a lot, a lot, yeah, so much has changed. I think most people just don't, you know, a, a lot of people are like, why has things, you know, have, have, have they changed so quickly? I'm like, well, they just have. It's because of the internet. It's because of social media. Things have changed right. so drastically in the last decade. And so, yeah, it is kind of hard to kind of keep up, but we, we have to do our best. We have to, especially for, for younger generations. I think that's the reason why I'm so like passionate um, about educating specifically uh, women, also men though, young men um, about these things, because um, I want, I don't want people to kind of go through the same struggles that I had to, I want to make it better for uh, other generations. And I want to get rid of this idea of financial confidence. I want everyone to feel confident. It's just, it's ridiculous that we are good with money historically. You know, there's a lot of data that says so, and yet we don't feel good about the decision we're making. We don't feel confident about it. Exactly. Yeah. Well, this has been an amazing chat. I bet there's a lot of great, uh, more conversations that could be had. Um, I feel like this would be a good book club book. The Feminist Financial Handbook is your book. Where can people uh, grab a copy so they can dive in and uh, start some conversations with their friends? Yeah, absolutely. So right now it's available for pre-order on Amazon. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it will, it's also on Barnes and Noble if you want to pre-order. Um, and then it will go live launch prints <laughs> on October 15th. Fabulous. Um, so if you pre-order now, you can be one of the first people to get your hands on a copy. Exciting. Well, thank you so much, Bryn, for taking the time to chat with me. It was a pleasure. Hope to have oh, you on again. Me. Absolutely. And that was episode 178 of the Momony podcast with Bryn Conroy. Make sure to check her out at femfrugality.com and grab a copy of her book, The Feminist Financial Handbook. Uh, I, I think this is a great opportunity, a great time to um, start making your kind of reading list. I know for me, I, I don't know why, but winter time because winter's coming or winter's here really I'm in Toronto it's already snowing um it is like the perfect time to kind of get your kind of stack of books finance books if you want and uh you know start reading because I don't know I never feel like really reading when it's like nice out in summertime it's not like my kind of jam but winter time I'm all about binging the books so uh you know add that to your reading list why don't you um so I have a few things to uh share with you so don't go away here's just a few words about this episode's sponsor this episode of the Mo Money Podcast is supported by CoPower Green Bonds. What's in your investment portfolio? Like, seriously, what kind of companies are you investing in? You may be surprised and, well, not exactly thrilled to see that you're investing in companies that don't actually align with your personal values. Here's one way you can change that. CoPower Green Bonds. 
a way to invest your money to fund renewable energy and energy efficiency projects in Canada. CoPower was founded in 2013 with a single mission, to unlock capital for climate solutions by empowering Canadians to participate in and profit from the transition to a low-carbon economy. If you're just as concerned about climate change as I am, this is one way you can do something actively about it, while also earning high returns for your financial goals. I'm talking 4 or 5% on your investment. Want to learn more and get started? Then visit greenbonds.ca. Once again, that's greenbonds.ca. Um, so I forgot to mention also, if you want to learn more about uh, Bryn, her book, and just everything we talked about in this episode, uh, make sure to check out the show notes. You can always check out the show notes on my website. For every single episode on the show, just go to jessicamorehouse.com slash whatever that number of the episode is. So this episode is 178. So just go jessicamorehouse.com slash 178 to uh, find these show notes. But Speaking of my website, if you've never checked it out, and uh, that's you know that's totally fine. Maybe you're just a podcast listener, and that's where you uh, listen to me, and that's cool. That's cool. Uh, but if you want to basically take advantage of some of the cool things I've got going on my site, I've got a ton of free resources that you may want to check out because they're free. Um, just go to jessicamorehouse.com. Um, specifically, I've got a great resource library. So basically. I've created a number of different, like, um, you know, worksheets or cheat sheets or spreadsheets or online training videos, webinars, what have you. And uh, they all exist on my resource library. So really, all you have to do is go to jessicamorehouse.com slash resources, uh, make yourself a, an account for free, and then you get to access all of them in one uh you know, awesome place. And I'm always adding new things. Uh, I'm very excited to add more um, resources in 2019 because I'm, I'm hoping that when I take my little break from the podcast in December, uh, that's what I'm going to be spending my time on. Um, obviously, I'm also going to be spending my time on um, prepping, launching my first online course. I'm very excited about it. So I kind of uh, teased that course a lot, a little bit, a lot about it. I don't know. But I've been talking about this damn course since like the summer because I, I thought, oh, this won't that be that hard to launch. I'll just, you know, launch it in a month. No, it's like November. So not going to happen. Um, so basically, if you want to be the first to know when I will officially launch the course, uh, you know, get on my email list uh, or join my Facebook group or follow me on social media. Uh, the game plan is to officially launch my course called Investing Foundations for Canadians, uh, the beginning, maybe the first week of January. Uh, I'm also hoping, fingers crossed, that uh, I will also have my second online course ready to launch alongside that, which will be more about uh, how to... Uh, implement the indexing strategy. So we've had a lot of guests on the show uh, to talk to, you know, me about, you know, what does it mean to do passive investing, index investing, ETFs and all that kind of jargon that you, you're like, what is that? Uh, basically, it's just how, okay, once you know what, you know, the what of investing, what it means, how, you know, how it works, um, then how do I implement? How do I take action? So that's kind of going to be the, the second part of the course. So make sure to look out for that. I will definitely be sharing news about that on the podcast next season. But uh, just wanted to kind of tease one more time and also give me some accountability because I'm like, girl, you need to just buckle down and get it done. So it is ready to launch in January. So now that I'm saying that, I've got to do it. Got to keep myself accountable. Anyways, before I let you go, I think there's a few 
uh, iTunes reviews that I just want to give some shout outs to. All right. I've got one from N. Serena from Canada. Uh, she says, great financial education for the week. This was a great episode that goes into ETF investing. I think she's talking about the episode I did with Sam Safe, uh, which I believe is episode 176. So make sure to check that out. Uh, but also where the future may go also gives good reference websites to increase your knowledge. Thank you for a Canadian-based financial podcast. Yeah, I've been getting a lot of feedback from that particular episode, uh, which is great. Uh, a lot of people that are at the beginning stage of their kind of investing journey were kind of freaked out just by some of his um, thoughts and opinions on just like the future of investing. The thing that I would like to remind you of, like Sam Safe is an amazing guy, um, but he's very, at a, you know, uh, he's very advanced when it comes to investing. So just because he has certain uh, kind of ideas about, you know, wh- where the future may go in terms of like ETFs and cryptocurrency, don't let that, you know, freak you out or or scare you into not investing. He is also, as you mentioned in the episode, um, uh, one of the co-founders of Wellsimple, uh, a robo-advisor. So he also does believe in just, you know, the indexing strategy, uh, buying low-cost, you know, index-based ETFs and all that kind of stuff. So he's, uh, yeah. Anyways, so if you haven't listened to that episode, you'll understand a little bit more if you uh, take a listen. So thank you so much for your review and Serena from Canada. Really appreciate it. If you want to give me an iTunes review, I would love you forever and give you a shout out on a future episode. So uh, really, it takes no time at all. Uh, the easiest way is really to do it through the podcast app. I believe you can also just do it on the iTunes, like, uh, you know, software. What's it called? Software? Web? You know, uh, you know, desktop kind of thing? Whatever it is. I clearly don't really use the desktop thing too much. I usually just use the podcast app, but it takes you two seconds. Well, let me know what you think. Um, also, let me know like what you what you do think, uh, what you want to learn more about. You can do that via an iTunes review or just hit me up over Twitter, Instagram, uh, or my email. You can email me directly. I email back every freaking email I get, especially from my readers and listeners. You're you're always at the top of my list when I get an email from you. So you can just uh, email me uh, directly at jessica at jessicamorehouse.com. Oh, one thing I'm going to let you know before I go. Sorry, I probably should have put that before, but whatever. Hopefully you're still listening. Um, if you're from the Vancouver area, I'm coming to town. Um, I am coming back home for the holidays. I'm going to be doing a mini meetup. I've already got like a list of a bunch of people that are uh, going to join me, but basically it's like you want to grab a drink with uh, good old Jessica over here. You want to meet up in Vancouver over the kind of Christmas holiday? Hit me up, Jessica at jessicamorehouse.com. Email me, say that you're interested. I'll put you on my kind of list. And then uh, once I kind of have a, you know, solid idea of how many people we're talking about here, I can find a venue and a, a date and we'll uh, have a drinky poo and have a good time. It'll be kind of fun. So uh, let me know if you want to come. But uh, yeah, that's that's it for me. Thanks so much for listening. I will be back here next Wednesday with a fresh new episode of the Mo Money Podcast. This podcast is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network. Find out more at womeninmedia.network.